Welcome to IntelliCast, powered by Skip. Well, welcome to another episode of Skip's IntelliCast, uh, a, pro- a podcast about strategy, intelligence, and leadership. I'm Maureen Nail, and I'm a director of CI at Abbott, and I'll be your guest host today. And our guest uh, is Peter, Peter Grimm from uh, Cypher Consulting. Peter's professional background includes, he worked at, as a counterterrorist analyst at the Navy. He spent some time at Deloitte, and then he, before he started his practice in, at Cypher. Welcome, Pete. Thanks, Maureen. It's great to be with you. Great. Well, I'm looking forward to this discussion, and I'm gonna I'm gonna focus on something that's a particular interest for me, and I'm hoping that um, through this discussion you can help me, and then also some others. So, something I've been grappling with lately is disruption, which I know is a hot button issue. It's a it's one of those buzzwords, but I think particularly since COVID, disruption has become uh, a big deal. Um, I think COVID, from my perspective, I think COVID has revealed a lot of areas of opportunity. Um, it's it's shifted the way consumers buy things. It's shifted how we go out to eat, all sorts of different things in our lives. And of course, in different industries that we all participate in. And so I just, I feel like I can't wrap my head around all the changes that COVID will have inspired or has inspired, or maybe even what's to come. And so I'd like to dive in this topic a little bit more and, and maybe we can focus on my particular industry of, of interest is healthcare, but I think we could, we could expand it a little bit more if, uh, if that you have anything of interest, uh, Pete, that you want to share. Yeah, that sounds great. I mean, look, uh, if any industry has been, I think all industries have been impacted by COVID, right? But certainly the healthcare industry has, there's all sorts of changes. Now, I think one of the themes with healthcare in particular is, uh, you know, I don't know that there's any new changes happening as a result of, of COVID. I think what we've seen is an acceleration of changes that were already happening, right? So if you think about, you know, telehealth, it was already a thing before COVID. It's just, I think the adoption, you know, has skyrocketed uh, as some of the barriers were came down uh, as a result of the pandemic. You, you think about things like, um, um, you know, even looking at kind of clinical trials and, and how those are conducted um, and, and the progress that's been made in the last 18 months, it's just, it's incredible. So I think the bottom line in healthcare, uh, you might feel differently, but I think a lot of this stuff was already happening, but man, has it accelerated over the last year and a half. Yeah, I, I agree. I think a lot of it has already been happening. So maybe it's not truly disruption. Maybe it's, um, maybe it's been spurred along. So I think there's two different things, and I'd, I'd like to um, talk about the disruption piece later. Let's talk about you raised telehealth or even clinical trials. I mean, is there an area of healthcare that has been that COVID has sped up in terms of change that um, you think is really representative of maybe disruption or a transformative event? Well, I think, you know, whenever we talk about uh, disruption of any kind, there's a whole bunch of different factors that go into it. So you have to think about, you know, uh, consumer behavior. You have to think about demographic shifts. You have, importantly, you have to think about the regulatory environment. 
right? And in particularly in healthcare, it's a very heavily regulated industry. And I think one of the key barriers that had been, if you just take telehealth, one of the key barriers that had been holding back adoption of telehealth were all the regulatory concerns associated with how do, how do I stay HIPAA compliant when I do, you know, um, when I do uh, uh, physician visits? How do I, um, uh, how, you know, can I prescribe without actually seeing the patient in person? Um, there's all sorts of, con- uh, of, of sort of regulatory things that you have to think through. And I think what COVID did um, in a lot of cases was, uh, kind of overnight, a lot of those regulatory barriers went away because there, there was no choice. You know, we, we couldn't wait around to, uh, you know, get a full review from all the various governmental agencies that would normally have to look at it and do their bureaucratic processes and get public inputs and make rules and all those sorts of things. That It basically just happened overnight. Um, yeah. And I think on the other side of that, you have the, 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 the individual consumer, the healthcare consumer, um, you know, whatever reticence I had to see my doctor over, you know, Zoom or whatever other telehealth uh, uh, solution, uh, if I was reticent to do it before COVID, I, I didn't have a choice anymore. So you know, a lot of people were forced to try it. And then once they did, they found, hey, this actually works pretty well. This is really convenient. Yeah. So one of the things that comes to mind for me, and um, I'd like to dive in this a little bit more and see what you think. Um, so telehealth, I know there's been some talk of whether or not that'll stay post-COVID. And, and we could debate that. But one of the things I'm interested in, in thinking about is as telehealth will, will be an aspect of healthcare, right? How, what could pharma companies or healthcare companies do to maybe enable telehealth or enable their, um, the products they offer to be prescribed in, in that kind of virtual environment, right? So like you said, sometimes some of these things, you know, we never thought of before that we could have a telehealth visit and and actually treat a patient. Well, we've, we've determined we're able to do that. And I wonder if there's some, some way that healthcare companies could think about it differently and and enable that in a way um, so that they're, they're playing along with that new, that new way of, um, of connecting with patients and consumers. Yeah, and, and so, you know, you know far better than I do all the, the specific requirements around certain drugs and, and therapeutics and those sorts of things. But, I, I, you know, I'll just take a personal example. My, my oldest son has a chronic condition, and we go see his specialist once a quarter, and it's always been in person, right? And we have to drive, you know, 20 minutes up to the city to, to the hospital to go see this specialist. And it, it wasn't that big a deal. But during COVID, we couldn't do that, right? So we then started seeing him virtually once a quarter and he would make adjustments to my son's medication, which is in fact a prescription. Um, and, and it's a fairly sophisticated medication too. You know, it's not something pre-COVID that doctors would do uh, just on the basis of looking at your face on the screen. Um, but they did it. And I think, you know, just in that instance, I think that a component of that is here to stay, right? So, I, you know, he did after, uh, you know, once the Restrictions started being eased here in the Mid-Atlantic. Um, the doctor said, hey, let's see you in person. You know, I want to do an exam. But uh, maybe every, you know, maybe we need only need to do that once a year. And the other three quarters will just check in virtually. So um, it, I think there's definitely an aspect of it that's here to stay. I don't think the physical, uh, uh, you know, in-person doctor's visit and the, the value of the physical exam going anywhere. Um, but maybe it doesn't have to be as, as often. So to your question about how to 
gut companies adapt to that. I think there's all, all kinds of options and opportunities around that, right? Um, but without getting into the specifics of a particular drug, I don't know if you have one in mind that you were thinking about. I, I'm talking. No, about, I don't. Maybe the more the question is. We're talking about insulin. Yeah. Go sorry, ahead. Pete. Sorry to talk over you. I was thinking maybe more the question is how would a how would a healthcare company think about that, right? And and, and incorporate it into something that they currently do, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, well, I you know I think you got to think about it like anything else. It's you have to adapt to where the where the consumer or where the patient is. Right. So if, if that's where they are, then how do we adapt to that? And there's a whole variety of different options around that. Um, yeah. And I think you're seeing it too, you know, on the payer side of the equation as well. Um, you know, all P, all these uh, big payers have had to have had to wrestle with the question of telehealth. And how, how do we re- do we reimburse it differently than an in-person visit and all those sorts of questions. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I think it presents a whole host of opportunities on both sides of that equation. It'll be interesting to see how it evolves. So, so I think it's undeniable that there's been a lot of change over the last year. Some of it we could call disruption, like you said. Some of it might be things that were already happening, and and COVID kind of pushed it along. I know we could we could dive into some examples. We could talk about our Amazon, our, our friend uh, that loves to disrupt different markets. But I think what what I struggle with is uh, two things. One is, what do you do when there's uh, someone coming into your industry, or maybe even just you know your your market who's disrupting things, right? So you see them, right? You've noticed them; they're coming. And how do you? What do you do in terms of as a CI professional? Or probably even the more challenging question is, how do you predict? And predict, I know, is kind of it's one of those words that. I always, I always get a little, um, as soon as I hear it, I get a little kind of anxiety, but maybe predict's not the right word, but prepare for someone to come into your uh, market or industry uh, who is a disruptive force. So like I said, we, we know Amazon, we know what they're doing. I'm sure they're doing things that we don't know about, but we've heard, you know, they, we've heard where they're going and in different industries and disrupting things. But how do we prepare for the next Amazon? Yeah, that's a really good question. And it's something we spend a lot of time working with our clients around. And, and so there's a couple pieces to it, right? Because if you just, if you think about disruption, um, it's a massively broad and complex topic. And it's, re- it's really hard to even wrap your head around all of the different uh, permutations of what that means. So we found it really useful to break it down into manageable pieces. And, and you can do that by kind of thinking of, of the processing phases. So, the, the, and this is one process, right? I'm sure there are many, but the one that's worked for pretty well for us is you start with looking introspectively at your own business, right? So looking at, uh, we refer to it as kind of vulnerability analysis, looking at the existing business, the existing value propositions, and you can apply a couple different models to it relatively quickly to get to a critical assessment, a really true assessment of what your sources of competitive advantage are. Right, because and I think that's really important because that helps you scope this massively complicated problem. So once you've done that and you've nailed down, you know what is it that truly allows us to win in the markets in which we play, then you can start to think about understanding how disruption happens. And my favorite, there's a lot of great writing out this uh, out there around disruption. Obviously, Clayton Christensen, if you read the uh, Innovator's Dilemma and and some of his uh, recent work before, unfortunately he he passed away. 
Um, he's got a great theory about disruptive innovation, which is what I would I, I would you know endeavor to, to to be really clear. That's one type of innovation of disruption, rather. Um, I really like a study that was done actually by my, my former colleagues at Deloitte, um, where they looked at you know a whole host of, of, of disruptive case studies, and they said, what's it, what do these things have in common? And they came out with nine patterns that disruption tends to follow. And that can be really useful as a, as a framework to understand, you know, if somebody's coming into my market, I need to understand what which of those patterns are they trying to, to follow. And an example of that might be, you know, are they trying to shorten the value chain in this industry, right? Or are they um, are, are they unlocking adjacent uh, assets from adjacent markets, like an, like an Uber, right, would be a classic example of that. Um, are they distributing product development would be another great uh, one of the nine patterns. So once you dive into that, and I, I highly recommend that study, you can just Google, you know, Deloitte patterns of disruption, it'll come right up. Um, once you figure out which of those nine patterns they're following, then the answers become a lot clearer. And so, you know, overlaying kind of where our chinks in our armor are with that vulnerability analysis with how disruption normally happens can get you to a place where you really can wrap your head around the problem. And you can see things a lot more clearly and, and the strategic choices that are available to you become a lot more clear too. Well, that is amazing. Um, so I will be doing that as soon as we get off this call. For one, I'll be looking <laughs> for that article and um, starting to figure out what Abbott's vulnerabilities are and where we could we could have yeah. chinks in our armor. I really like that. I, I like having a very systematic approach. And then obviously, then you can come up with um, some plans of action, right? I assume, would you then follow up with maybe some scenario analysis or scenario planning? What would be the next step? Yeah, absolutely. So so when we do this with clients, oftentimes what we'll come up with is kind of a set of the, you know, here are the highest priority things that, that we think are, and, and you know, it's kind of a risk management framework. What's the most likely, what'll have the biggest impact, right? And you can do some prioritization. You can also use time uh, as, a, as a part of that prioritization exercise. So which of these, trends or shifts or disruptions is kind of happening now and we need to be taking action now uh, because we might, you know, we might have a gap we need to fill or we might be behind a little bit and we need to catch up and close the gap. Which of these is maybe a little bit further out, a little bit less certain. Maybe we're talking about, you know, we think it's three to five years, this big shift will happen. Well, that's great because we have time to plan. And that's really, really important because another really important thing to think about with disruption is even if you do all of the best intelligence work and all of the best analysis and you see, you know, you see Netflix coming, if I'm Blockbuster, I see them coming and I've got plenty of time to react. It's still very challenging to actually do that because it often requires some really painful decisions to be made. You know, you might wind up having to cannibalize one of your most profitable lines of business in order to position for, uh, for the future. That's really tough. So the more time you have and the more foresight you have in this process, the more likely you are to be able to get the organization to turn and, and position for, for change. So that's a, that's a big, big piece of it. Um, and then you might have, you know, coming out of this work with our clients I was describing, you, you often have a number of things that are, you know, much further out, could potentially be really, truly, fundamentally transformative if and when they come to pass, but, but we're not sure they're going to or when they're going to or how exactly that's going to look quite yet. You know, they're 10 years out maybe. Um, but there are definitely things we want to be watching. 
right? And so there's there's techno there's great technology out there now that allows you to automate a lot of that watching and and you can check that periodically and make it part of the management uh, of the company to you know in our, our quarterly reviews or whatever it might be we're gonna we're gonna actually pay attention to those disruptors. What's changed since we got them next? Do we need to start a planning activity around this? Do we need, have we reached a, a trigger point where we need to implement one of the plans we've, we've developed? Um, so it's really about, you know, integrating it into the strategic leadership of the business uh, on, a, on a recurring basis. Yeah, those are all very he heavy lifts, right? As you already yeah. said, um, it can be really challenging. If if you're at one of those companies, maybe, maybe competitive intelligence or strategy or these types of like forward looking, looking scenario planning and then acting is really, is hard. So like you said, you need the time in order to, you know, essentially get everyone on board. And if you have to adjust where the ship is going, you have that time to do that and, and get there. And, and also critical to that, you know, in addition to having enough time, if when you make this process part of the routine reporting in the business, you know, so the executives are being leadership is hearing this on a recurring basis, whether it's every month or every quarter or twice a year, whatever it is, um, that change over time that you start to see in these disruptors can be really powerful just from an organizational psychology standpoint of overcoming some of that inertia, right? Um, it, it is the the best data you can produce. There's there's not a database out there you can buy that's going to tell you when, you know, uh, new entrant X is going to reach critical mass. So, you, you know what I mean? So this is the best method in, in my experience to to actually generate action, but it doesn't happen overnight. Is there? Yeah, I think that I think that this is um, something that actually it, it rings for a personal reason for me in terms of. Um, making these things routine. I, I, I completely agree with you that that's, that's how I, not only um, you establish the right mindset internally in your organization, if, you know, if this is a, um, if you work for, uh, in the industry or even as um, a consultant, like, like you guys are helping your clients, right. Establish that mindset and having that uh, regular engagement, if it's annually or semi-annually or whatever makes the most sense for that, that client. For sure. Just the the impact of seeing change over time tends to uh, set the conditions for decisions to be made. Yep. Um, it's true in the national security world. I mean, if you look at kind of traditional indications of morning intelligence, there's a ton of, ton of material that's been written about kind of the, the organizational psychology of that and how important it is. The other piece that, you know, of advice to share with people is disruption sounds negative. It sounds like threat. And I, I just use the term vulnerability analysis. It sounds very defensive, right? But when this is done well, and, and the ultimate purpose of this is to create opportunities. So yes, we're defending against threats. Yes, we might be defending against the new entrant. But the, the, true, the true value here is to find the opportunity to position for that next thing. Right. And, and to have that advantage of whether we're going to be first movers or fast followers or, you know, we can make those decisions in advance so we don't have to come on the fly once this starts to happen. So that's also really important. You don't want to be chicken little going up to the leadership constantly saying this, you know, this is so bad. All these stoplights on the chart, you know, we're in real trouble here. It needs to come from a place of, you know, I think we have a real opportunity here. 
and here, you know, here are going to be the pain points. Here's the things we have to overcome and just making that part of a routine, you know, hearing that every quarter, Hey, this is coming. It's real. Here's the opportunity it creates for us. Here's the options available to us. Here's, here's when we think is best. That, that's, your best, that's your best bet in my, <laughs> my experience. I really, I really like that. Like you said, um, always coming to leadership with the negative, negative news. And I think CI can have a tendency to be that. Um, if there's always someone else coming, right? Someone else is always doing something else. Um, I really like the flipping it a little and, and saying it's, you know, hey, we areas of opportunity, right? And, and we as companies, we always need to be moving forward and growing and innovating. Um, and we're using this method um, uh, of, of finding areas of opportunity and areas where we can grow and move forward. And, and yeah, stay ahead of the competition, but that's not, that's, it doesn't have to only be about that. It doesn't only have to be about fighting or, or uh, avoiding a threat. Yeah, absolutely. And, and for those like me who came into competitive intelligence or, you know, strategy or whatever roles are in in business now, but who came from the national security world, it's a real shift um, because it, you know, in the intelligence community, you are from day one, it's beaten into your head. You do intelligence. You don't do policy. You don't make recommendations about what to do about this. You just tell us the facts. It is not the case in, in our world. Um, if you go to management with, Hey, this is, this is bad and it's getting worse. That might be the last time that you get to sit down with them. You better come with, here's what I think we ought to do about it. And here are the opportunities for us to capitalize. I think that that's a really great nugget. And, um, and there are a couple other nuggets you said, you know, in terms of really a process of how to prepare uh, slash predict um, a disruptor that might be coming. Right. And I really like your, uh, your um, advice of looking in first, right. And making sure you fully understand where your vulnerabilities are, what's your competitive advantage. And then that allows you to um, think about where someone might disrupt. Uh, and I like the, um, the article from Deloitte. Like I said, I'm, I'm going to be looking for that for sure. And then the making things routine, right? It's not a one and done. This is, this is a constant thing that you should be doing at your company. And it creates the right mindset, also creates um, the, the view of looking for that opportunity. Um, any other nuggets, Pete, before, before we, we wrap this up? Um, you're full of them. So I want to make sure that we didn't miss any. <laughs> um, you know, look, I, I think um, those, those are the key ones. I think um, there are lots of tools available to folks to help with this process. You know, there's prediction markets, there's tools that can help you monitor the environment, but unless you have kind of an overarching framework and you have the kind of psychology of this, right. Um, your, your chances of success are, are, are much fewer. So um, I, I really think I really think that's important. The other just last thing I would say is, you know, having that discussion about the, the vulnerability analysis and the, the sort of critical look internally at the business, it's really helpful to have somebody from the outside help you do that. Um, because, you know, we all we're all in different organizations. We all hear what we're telling the market. We hear the marketing speak about what sets us apart. But, you know, that might might not always be the, the real truth or the whole truth. 
So, and it, it requires asking some hard questions to get to that. And that, that part, that for upfront vulnerability analysis is crucial to making sure you get this right. Yeah, I agree with that. I think CI, um, the CI professionals within an organization are supposed to be impartial, right? Supposed to be uh, truth um, gatherers, gatherers, but sometimes internally, <laughs> um, our colleagues won't believe it. The vulnerability analysis probably won't believe it unless it comes from an external source. So I think that's a really good, uh, it's a really good nugget that um, we all should be thinking about. So. Pete, I want to thank you. Um, this is a great conversation for, for me. I, I wrote down a ton of notes. Uh, like I already said, I'm going to be following up on some things. So I really, I really appreciate your time. And I also want to let everyone know, you know, please go to skip, go to skip.org for any of these best practices, trainings and resources. There's tons of information on there um, that will really help you out. Uh, Pete, I'm sure, is uh, would be uh, more than happy to take some follow-up questions. If anyone's interested, reach out to him at Cypher, uh, a great company, a great partner to work with um, and, and do these types of things for you. And uh, once again, thanks, Pete. I'll wrap it up. Awesome. Thanks, Maureen. This was awesome. And uh, I so talk about this all day, so <laughs> appreciate it. <laughs>